Hi. 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 Hey. Hey, Jared. Um, yeah, I get, to, I get to introduce my friend tonight, my friend Ryro. Um, he has been my friend for 15 years, and he's uh, the best that I have. Um, very, very important person to me. And now with the, the power I have with my God, I can get him to speak. <laughs> um, yes, you should listen to him. He is a smart ass, just like me. He and I used to be employed by University Christian Fellowship. Uh, he still is. I got fired. Um, but yeah, me and Ryan would sit in the back and we'd ask questions. And we were kind of smart asses. Yes, it's true. And they just say, shut up, Ryan. Shut up, Jesse, very often. Um, but yes, something that I love about him, the questions, those questions are good. Actually. Uh, I, I'm pleased to tell you that, that, uh, 10 years later after I was fired, Ryan's still around and yes, people still tell him to shut up in, in inner varsity, but there's people that are, that are higher up some like national people and, and sometimes you know, they'll tell Ryan to shut up. But then some of those national people is like, no, 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 wait. That was actually a, a good question. <laughs> and Ryan's very proud of himself now. And he should be. Um, folks, it's the question asking is a big deal. It's one of our tenets, one of, part of our mission here. To ask questions while seeking the truth. It is a big deal to us. It satisfies some some cynicism, some question authority sort of, you know, uh, consternation, let's say, that we have. But it's good. We're looking for truth. We're looking for a way to find what is good in this world. And my friend Ryro does that better than anybody else in my life. There's so many questions that he has asked me, I think offhanded, but I keep with me always. Like, is it worth it? I ask that question of myself a lot. And then last night, I was trying to decide if I should play video games or read Batman. And I was like, what would Ryan ask me right now? <laughs> but he is one of the main reasons I want you guys to hear him tonight. I hope you put some, some good questions in your head that take you a long time to answer. But uh, with that, yeah, come on up, man. And uh, I'm going to pray for him. And then, yes, he will unleash the smart assery on us. Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that I that you let me get Ryan here to talk. Um, thank you so much that you've allowed Ryan to talk in my life. And I pray that people get to just a sliver of that tonight. And that sliver sticks with us and that sliver multiplies and is redeemed and is made beautiful in our lives and produces beautiful things that honor you. Um, love us uh, through his words, and uh, I hope you are pleased with his words. And if you see to those things, then you can get to uh, letting it be a good time, too. But uh, we love you a lot, we, and I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thanks, brother. How are you guys doing tonight? Are we doing all right? No, we are not. Well, it's been great being with you. I'm going to go 
You guys are scaring me. Just kidding. Sorry, I'm just getting set up a little bit. I do not usually preach with something in my hand. So if I hit somebody with this thing as it flies out because I talk with my hands a lot, I just want to apologize now. Um, last week was Easter Sunday, um, if you didn't know that. And traditionally, this week is called Low Sunday. I don't know why, but it's called Low Sunday. And it might be just Low Energy Sunday. I don't know. So I've, I'm thankful that I was invited to preach on Low Sunday at SCUM. So I don't know what that means for us, but I'll tell you, as I was invited to preach, um, it's a little bit intimidating to come and preach to people that aren't your own, right? Like, like I don't come here. Um, I've been here a few times, but those few times even have been awesome, right? So the, one of the first times I ever came was when you guys still met um, in the old church in the city building over by East High School. And uh, somebody, I, I do not know his name, he gave up and he gave, it was testimony night at SCUM. And this guy get, got up and he gave his testimony, but he gave it in the form of spoken word. And it was like phenomenal. Like it was, it was like so good just to sit in the presence of his testimony in the presence of God in that way, right? So I'm like, oh man, like that's, that's part of who SCUM is, right? Um, another time I've been here is when uh, Professor Blomberg has, has preached here, uh, Craig Blomberg. Uh, that guy has killed more brain cells than I'll ever have, right? Like, he is so smart. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, right? And so I, I was just a little intimidated coming in. But then I got here this morning, and uh, I, I didn't know this woman, but it turns out it was Fran Blomberg. And uh, I heard her saying to someone, oh, it's fine. Whatever his mistakes he'll make, I'm preaching next, so I'll just take care of those. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like, you guys are so welcoming. Like, you even, like, don't even care if I make mistakes because you're just going to fix them next week. And then she was quick to point out. She goes, no, no, I was talking about my husband. I'm preaching after him. And I was like, sure, whatever. I know how it really is, right? You're the cleanup crew, the heresy crew for when I'm done teaching, all right? So, so Jesse invited me. Um, he said, hey, man, I, I, I feel like God might have a word to speak through you. Why don't you come, uh, preach it's come. And, uh, and it, to be honest with you, uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Uh, I don't even think my, my gift set is in preaching. Um, I don't think it's my main gift. I, I think um, I'm just some guy. And, and so um, I just went before Jesus and I said, Jesus, would, would you have a word for scum for me to preach? And um, to be honest with you, I felt like he said yes. I feel like he said yes. Um, so at best, at best... I think God's going to show up tonight. Um, at worst, it's a half hour of your life you will never get back. So you get to decide which that is because I really don't know. All right. But um, that's why I'm here is because I, I feel like God has a word tonight. Um, but a question that it, that it begs for me is, is, why are you here? Like, why come to church? Because if you think about it, church is kind of a weird place. Right? Like, like, there's not very many places in our culture where a room of people will gather and, like, sing to a wall that doesn't involve alcohol. Right? Like, like that just doesn't happen normally. Right? And, and I remember one of the first times I went to church, um, there was somebody, like, raising their hands. And I was like, well, I don't know why they're doing that. Right? I, I didn't grow up in the church and then start going to church um, until my later teen years. And, and it was weird. Right? And so church is not necessarily a normal place. And, and the things that take place in church are not necessarily normal things. Um, and, and so it, it begs the question for me, especially when I first started following Jesus as I went to college and all those things, 
what's the purpose of church? Why does church exist? Um, tonight, we do not have time to go into um, all the hows of church. Like, why do we do worship? Why do we do teaching? Those kinds of things. We don't have time for that. But, but the, the very thing of church itself. Because if you read the Bible, it's really clear that Jesus was incredibly intentional about establishing the church. Right? He, he calls this guy Peter and he's like, you're the rock that I'm going to build my church on. So he, he, even from the very beginning, had this idea of church. And it's kind of a strange idea. And, and, and it, asks the, it begs the question for me, like, to what end? What, why did Jesus establish church? Why did Jesus care to establish a community of people like that? And, and I'll be honest with you, I think it's the same reason... That, that God's people have always been established, which is to bless the world around them. To love a broken and messed up world was Jesus' purpose in establishing his church. Because you see, Jesus said things like, you are, to, to the people that were following him, he said, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Now the thing that they used salt for back in Jesus' day one of the main purposes was to preserve meat. So, so it was really to preserve decaying flesh. And, and so Jesus saw our world as decaying. And, and the thing they used light for was the same thing we use light for, actually. <laughs> Put it in dark places so they could see. It was amazing. Um, we've moved so far technologically with light. But, right? So he saw our world as dark and decaying, and actually, so getting worse, getting worse. And God, if you were to believe, and I know, I know um, not all of us here tonight believe in Jesus, and, and that's great. I'm so glad you're here. Um, but, but if you were to believe that, that Jesus was God, then in all his wisdom, right, he's like, oh, I have a plan to save this messed up and broken world. He's like, I'll do the hard part of like paying for everyone's sins, like dying on a cross, leading a perfect life. I'll do that part. But then I'm going to release these people out into the world to love this broken and messed up world. And not only am I going to release them, I'm going to use broken and messed up people to go out and love a broken and messed up world. And, and, and I'm going to use my, what he calls his Holy Spirit, to, to move through these people. And it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing. And I think Jesus spent his entire ministry establishing, establishing this thing that you and I call church. And I just want to say that I know there are some of us that are like, you know, Jesus is fine, but I actually hate church. Or, you know, we know people like that. And I'm just going to warn you. Um, throughout Scripture, one of the main imageries that Jesus chooses to use to describe his church is as his bride. Right, as his bride. Um, I'm really lucky that my wife was able to make it here tonight. My wife, Angie, right? She's my bride. Um, and if you and I were to hang out, and, and, and then you were to hang out with my wife, and you were to um, meet up with me later, and you're like, you know, Ryan, I really like you, but I hate your wife. You and I now have a problem. Does that, does that make sense? Like, you and I aren't what you would call friends, okay? Like, you, you cannot be my friend and hate my wife. Right now, that's just me. I'm a messed up, broken human. That may not be true with Jesus, but I'm pretty sure he's slightly offended if you are like, I hate your wife. Like, I really want to be with you, but I hate your wife. And, and so I just give you a word of warning that that Jesus is in love with his church. He's in love with all of his creation, 
but he's in love with his church. And so if you're here tonight and you follow Jesus, if you don't follow Jesus, I think all bets are off. I don't think you have to love the church at all, and um, I don't think it matters. But if you're someone who says, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, my encouragement to you is um, you're a part of the church, and come and make it better. Come and fix the things that are broken. Because I'll be the first to admit, a lot of the church is broken. But come and help be a part of the cure. And so as Jesus, and so I'm done with that little part. Sorry, I know it's a tangent, but I I just think it's so important. And, And as Jesus establishes his church, right? What he does is he tells them, you're going to go and you're going to be my hands and feet to this world. You're going to go and love this world. You're going to go into dark places. You're going to go into places that are hard. And you're going to be releasers of heaven in that place. And and um, my wife and I actually used to live right here over on Lapan Street, just a couple blocks down. Um, and uh, I remember when you guys were, were first buying this building. I don't know if you know this, uh, but you have a neighbor that really just doesn't like you. Um, you, you probably do know that from the last Yeah, You're like, yeah, he really doesn't like us, right? And, and so you actually had to go before the city council, um, to the zoning commission, in order to get approved kind of for to be in this place. And, and, and he was pretty adamant that you shouldn't be in this place, that you shouldn't be allowed to be here. Um, and I remember talking with Jesse, and um, we were talking about it, and and he was like, yeah, it's really weird because there's only a person who's kind of against us. But the only people allowed to speak for us are people that live in the neighborhood. And I was like, well, I live in the neighborhood, right? I, like, I can speak on behalf. But it forced the question in me, like, why would I want Scum of the Earth Church in my neighborhood? Like, why would I want that? And, and what I realized um, as I pondered that, I knew I did, but I just didn't have great articulation as for why. But what I, what I realized is, I think God is so proud of you. I think God is so in love with what you're doing. I think that you guys love people really well. I think that you guys go into hurtful, hard, and messy places. And that God goes with you. And that God looks at you And he says, yes, yes, you get it. Keep going. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving this city. Thank you for loving God's creation. And keep going. Keep going. And and so tonight, in, in this past week, as I've been pondering and praying and asking God, what word would you have? I, I felt like God... Um, really gave me uh, uh, three distinct things that he wanted to talk through tonight. Um, For some of you here tonight, I feel like God wants to invite you into relationship with him, right? That that I'm going to be like a concierge at a hotel, or um, for some of you old enough, that I would be like Lumiere, right? Be our guest, right? Like, come and be our guest, right? Like, I want you to get a picture of the God of the universe that loves you. And and there's some of you here tonight that are like, I don't believe in Jesus. I think it's stupid. Um, I'm great with you thinking that. But I'm also, I I really want you to get an accurate picture so that you can make an intelligent decision about about this God that I think is passionately in love with you. 
And so some of you here tonight need an invitation. I think some of us here tonight, we just need to be encouraged. Like the problem with dealing with brokenness and messiness of the world around us is that it's broken and messy. (laughs) And it just gets all over us. And sometimes, I think Jesse's right, we ask that question all the time, is it worth it? Right? We just need a little bit of encouragement in our souls. And so for you, uh, I want to be like the person on the sidelines of a marathon holding out the cup of water, right? That you can come by and you can grab it and you can re-energize. But I don't want to be like Kramer who held out a cup of coffee on Seinfeld, right? And so the runner's like, ah! Like all you hear is him screaming. I don't want to do that. I want to be with water, ice cold water for you to refresh your soul. And to be honest, the the third thing I heard was that I think God, uh, for some of us here tonight, God wants to hold up a mirror to us and and give us a true reflection of what our relationship looks like with him today. That that for some of us, um, we actually have a distorted view of what our relationship with God looks like. So those are the three things. I think some of us need to be invited, some encouraged, and, and to be honest, some confronted. And, and if I'm honest with you, I actually don't think I have anything worth saying um, unless God himself chooses to speak here tonight. And, and so we're going to look at a piece of his scripture. Um, and my encouragement to you is um, dive into this scripture and allow God. I, I, I believe some crazy things, and one of those things is I believe scripture is alive, and I believe God can use scripture to interact with our lives, like here and now. Um, and, and so hear this thought all the way out, because um, I actually believe God is allowed to be heretical um, of himself. And what I mean by that is, um, right, when you misuse scripture, it's called heresy. It's being heretical. When, you, when you're trying to say something that scripture isn't saying. But God does that all the time, I think, right? Like, have you ever read a piece of scripture and been like, I really feel like God's telling me this and it has nothing to do with the scripture you're reading well that might happen to you tonight and if that does amen run down that road don't preach that way by the way just fyi that's a bad preaching style but uh but but allow yourself to interact with god in that way and so um i I think my friend is going to bring it up on the powerpoint is that true because you're awesome. Look at that. That is perfect. So what we're going to do, um, I don't think this is, this might be normal. I don't think this is normal for scum, but what we're going to do is we're actually going to read this scripture together out loud. And then um, I'm going to break you up into just little groups around yourselves, like just four or five in a group. Um, And I just want you to discuss observations you see in the scripture and questions you might have about the scripture. All right. So um, if we have any right, really deep theologians, just don't start interpreting right away. Right. Like, I think I'm a sheep and I need to be sheared. Like, don't go there. Okay. we don't need to talk about that. What I want you to talk about is just the scripture itself. Okay. so um, would you guys read with me? This is Luke 15, one through 10. All right. So I'm trying to move out of the way so everyone can see it there. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety nine in the open country And go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. 
Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So go ahead and turn and just be in groups of however big you want, four to five or so, and, um, and just talk about what you see, what questions come up for you from the scripture. All right, we're just going to take a couple minutes. I'll bring us back together. All right, all right, let's come back together, if we could. It's always the danger of breaking people up into small groups. They're always like, no, these people are way more interesting than you. I'd rather talk to them tonight. All right, well, I want to know, what are some things that you noticed or some questions that you had from those parables? Yeah. Yeah, like you're like, well, this sucks. We're just standing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're, if, so I don't know if everybody could hear it, but it's comforting to know if you're the one that someone's out looking for you. But what if you're the 99? What about that? Down here. Okay, yeah, does it devalue you if you're the 99? Maybe the shepherd trusts you. And the shepherd's like, no, you'll be okay. I, I, I have faith for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's right. He doesn't chastise the sheep. You stupid sheep. Right. He carries him. Yeah. Anything? Yeah, sir.
Okay, yeah, he's, he's referencing what happens right after this, which is called the lost son. That's right. And, and that a son runs away, and it's really similar. Jesus is telling these three stories, right, back to back to back. Now, if you'll notice, if you remember in verse 1 um, and 2, what it was talking about is it said, now there were, um, Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. There it is. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, and eats with them. So what's happening in this is that the, the churchy people, the Pharisees and the, t- and the teachers of the law, right, they're actually, if you, were to, if you were able to just kind of watch them, they're actually really similar to Jesus. Like, they're really similar. They actually think a lot of the same things about God. It's not often theological arguments that Jesus has with them. It's actually the way you live out the scriptures that, that, and, and who you hang out with, right? So, so Jesus is hanging out with people that you're not supposed to hang out with. Sinners and tax collectors. I think a lot of us can conjure up an image for a sinner, but if, if you're new to the Bible, a tax collector was a traitor to the Jewish people. Rome would hire them, would hire Jewish people to collect taxes, and they just said, you need to collect this much, but however much you collect, you can, collect, you can keep the rest. And so they were traitors and exploiters of their own people. So they were really hated by their own people. Right, and this is who Jesus is hanging out with, and, and it's striking in these stories, right, or right before these stories, that Jesus hung out with people he wasn't like, but he was liked by people that he wasn't like. Like the people he was like didn't like him, and the people that he was unlike, they really liked him. They liked him so much that they hung out with him all the time. Right? And so he's speaking these parables to both groups of people. Both groups of people are hearing him tell this story of a sheep that gets lost and a shepherd that goes and finds him and picks him up and puts him on his shoulders and goes and calls his friends and neighbors, right? And and I don't know if you've ever been a shepherd. I haven't. But um, as I picture shepherding, I don't think it's crowded, right? I think you'd have to go find people, right? I don't think you're like right next to people all the time. So this guy like pictures you, goes and finds them, right? And and he celebrates. And he says, look, what I lost is now found. And the same with the woman, right? This, um, this coin that it's referencing was probably some kind of dowry that she would end up giving her future husband, right? So it's a really important coin, right? You couldn't have an incomplete set. It would, it would have brought shame upon her and her family. And so instead, she sweeps the entire house because she is frantic to be losing this thing, right? Um, I have an eight-year-old daughter named Mackenzie. Um, and, uh, I, I just remember, uh, we went, um, on a boat one time and she was, she was being pulled on a tube behind this boat and, and somehow in all of the being pulled, she lost an earring, right? And, and it was like a $2 earring or whatever. It wasn't even a big deal, right? But she just broke down in tears. Like she is weeping over this lost earring, right? And, and she cannot be consoled. Right. And, and, and it didn't even console her to be like, yeah, but you still have 99 other earrings. Right. She's like, that doesn't matter. I want the one that I lost. Right. And so it is striking that neither one of these people, right. Just go, eh, I still have 99 or I still have nine other coins. Right. 90% is pretty good. Instead, they're the totality of their thought is on the one that was lost. Their whole heart is after that one thing. 
And, and just a real quick word on a parable. It says Jesus told them this parable. A parable is a story that has a single point. And so, so it's, it's dangerous if we kind of like keep going with a parable. It's like an analogy. It'll eventually break down. Does, does that make sense? And so, so I think both of them end, right, with kind of this idea of heaven rejoicing over people coming into the kingdom. That heaven rejoices Right, and in fact, Jesus goes on, uh, as our as our brother pointed out, he goes on to tell this story of the lost son. All right, um, I'm actually going to read that to us right here. Um, Jesus continued, "There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, 'Father, give me my share of the estate.' So he divided his property between them." Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. All right? So, so essentially, what's happening in this story right now is that there's two sons. The younger one, who is actually entitled to very little, if any, of the estate, um, goes to his father and he says, You know, Dad, I don't like you, and I'm kind of waiting for you to die, and you're taking a long time. So can you just give me my half of the inheritance right now? And for some reason, the father's like, Yeah, sounds good. Gives him his half of the inheritance. He goes off to another country and, and wild living. You can fill that in however you want. But he is, like, I know some of you are like, I can picture some pretty wild stuff. Great, right? So it's just kind of like that's what's happening. And he squanders away all his wealth, okay? And so not long after, or sorry, verse 14. After he had spent everything, so he's, he's blown through everything, right? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. If you were a good Jew, you would be like, at this point in the story, you're like, oh, that's like super offensive. That's like the most offensive job he could have. Yes. So that's how desperate he is. He's willing to be that guy. All right. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one ever gave him anything. If you've never fed pigs, I'm just going to tell you, I have, there's a reason they call it pig slop. There's a reason that they call it that. It's like super disgusting. So you'd have to be really hungry to be like, that looks really good right now. All right. So he's looking at that's how famished he is. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The imagery that Jesus is using here, right, is one of a father who's actually looking for his son to come back. He doesn't wait for the son to get all the way. He's, he is dying for his son to come son to come back and he's looking for him and he does a very like taboo thing which is um he like yanks up his robe and runs right this was like a very like you don't do this if you're a jewish male you just don't do it like the higher up you are the slower you move really and and so like he i mean because you got to think about it just even somewhat practically like he put on a little bit of a show probably let's just say when he hiked up his robe right so he hikes up his robe and he runs he runs, right? And so he's completely undignified. He, he, he says, oh, my pride is nothing compared to being with my son. And he runs to him, all right? And so he, 
when he gets there, right, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, so he even gives this impression that he's not, he's just like, no, I'm just so happy you're back, right? Doesn't even listen to him. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What he does is he doesn't just welcome the son back. Like he restores him to full family. He completely restores him. Notice he doesn't like punish him, right? He's not like, well, are you really sorry? Like really, really sorry, right? And and he doesn't even tell him like the ring kind of is like the credit card. And he's not like, well, you spent all your money. So too bad. Instead, he's like, no, like you are still fully entitled as a member of this household. Like, he doesn't make him be a servant the way the son thought, right? So the son has a complete misconception of who the father is and what the father would do. He has a complete wrong picture. And the father instead just, it says that he hugs him and kisses him and restores him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Again, I want you to notice that the father again does something very un-Jewish father-like in this culture. He goes out. Like, I don't know how it was in your house growing up, right? But, But if my parents were angry, they called for me to come to them, right? It wasn't very often that they came out to me. It was like, you better get in here or you will die. Like that was kind of the, the, right? I used to have a lot of siblings, but they didn't make it. Um, All right. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, right? Isn't this ironic? Can you hear the irony in Jesus' story? Because the younger son's like, I'm going to go back and be a slave, right? And the older son's like a part of the household the whole time. And he's like, I am a slave. Like they, they have this reverse identity, right? And he says, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice not my brother, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Notice the identity of the brother. That he he identifies as the other, like this son of yours, and, and he At the beginning of the story, what it tells us is the father divided up the inheritance between both sons. So the older brother actually got a portion of the inheritance as well. And yet the brother still identifies all the property as the father's. He doesn't identify himself as getting to partake in that. Right. And and the father turns it back on him. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was lost and is found. I think out of this story, um, there's three groups of people that that I think God has a word for. Um, The first is is this um, maybe offensive term lost, right? Like Christians use that word a lot. 
right? Like, oh, there's, the, you're just lost, or there's lost people, right? And, and that could be offensive, right? You might be like, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am, right? I know exactly where I'm going, right? Uh, this isn't that kind of lost, right? It's not the kind of like using Siri to get someplace kind of lost, right? Like you, you arrive, you're like, Siri, this isn't where I wanted to be. Now I'm lost, right? It's not that, all right? Instead, go back to those first two parables. It's the type of lost where the God of the universe thinks that you're really valuable. He thinks you're so valuable that he would give everything to be in relationship with you. And yet he gives us free will to choose that or not choose that. It's that kind of lost. It's the kind of lost where he has ascribed value to you and said, you are worth everything and I want to be in relationship with you. It's that kind of lost that God is talking about here. And you, you may not believe any of this. You may not believe that the God of the universe loves you. And I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you making your own decision. I'm not going to force you to do anything. But I do want you to hear that, that he is madly in love with you. And he is trying to woo you back into relationship with himself. And just like the father in this story, he doesn't force his love upon you. But he longs and he looks out and he runs after and he restores us to who we were meant to be. Because I think in reality, when we're hungry, it points to the fact that there's something that can satisfy our hunger. Right? Would you agree with that? Like when we're hungry, we go, I think there's something here that needs something put in here. Right? Like how do we know to eat? Except that our hunger points to the fact that there's food. And I think that most of us would agree that there's something wrong with this world that there's something messed up about this world, that it isn't right. It's not how it was designed to be. And I think that points to perfection. I think it points to the fact that there's a creator that designed us to be more than we are. And so tonight, if, if you're one of those people who, who would say, yeah, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. My, my invitation to you is purely to, to consider Jesus. Consider the fact that there might be a God who loves you and is passionately seeking you. I just invite you to consider that. I remember um, my, my in-laws are incredibly generous, and uh, they have three children, um, and they, they took all three children and spouses on a vacation to um, uh, Steamboat Springs. And we stayed in a condo. And it, had, um, it was like a giant hotel, really. So, like, you got out of the elevator and you walked down this really long hallway that had, like, 40 doors in it or something like that. I mean, it was just really long. And uh, the condo itself was pretty big. It had, like, two or three bedrooms. Um, and we had brought – so it was me and my wife. And we were the only one who had um, children at the time. So our daughter, Mackenzie, she's our only child. So Kenzie was only two or three at the time, something like that. And um, 
And so uh, it was, you know, there was eight adults and, and Mackenzie. And so we're, um, we're playing uh, Wii, but the only TV is in the master bedroom. So everybody's in this master bedroom hanging out playing Wii. And uh, Kenzie wants to go swimming. She's too young to play Wii, really. She's like, Daddy, can we go swimming? And I was like, yeah. I was like, all I need to do is, is get changed, and we can go. But first I changed her. So I got her in her swimsuit and got her all ready. We're out in the living room. And I was like, all right, Daddy's going to go change, and then we'll go to the pool. So I went into the bathroom. I get changed. I come out. Um, and I do a couple other things, you know, get towels or whatever. And then I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I got to get Kenzie out of the master bedroom. She's hanging out there. And I go in there and she's not in there. Right. I'm like, Oh, huh. so I, you know, go look in the other bedrooms, you know, cause it was a pretty big condo. I'm like, ah, she's hiding somewhere or something. Right. She's only two or three, you know? So I'm looking, looking. So I go back into the master bedroom. I'm like, is Kenzie in here? Like, did I just miss her? You know, everybody's like, no, no, uh, uh-uh. So uh, I go out and I open the door, you know, to the condo and I look out in this giant hallway and it's really long going both directions and nobody out there. So I went swimming. We miss her. No, I'm just kidding. I just, uh, I know, I know. See, that's the problem is that every time a pastor tells, like, I'm just a good parent, right? Every good parent has lost their child. But the, anytime a pastor tells that, they always find the child. So I just wanted to create a cliffhanger for you. All right. No, that's not quite how the story ended, really. All right. What really happened is, um, fortunately for me, uh, my mother-in-law is a natural warrior. And so the minute I had gone in the master bedroom and said, is Kenzie in here? Like, she jumped into panic mode. And um, so she's, like, looking around with me, right? And I'm out in the hallway. I come back in. And, and there are a few times that when my mother-in-law speaks that you know you better jump into action. And this was one of those times, right? She's like, all right, Mackenzie's gone. Let's go right she's like organizing search parties right calling helicopters like we're ready right so so um we go out and there's three possible we're on the third floor there's three possible places that Mackenzie could have gone right um and, and i'll be honest my main fear at this point is that she's been taken right like she's gone out somewhere and somehow she's she's been taken so there's two stairwells at each end and then an elevator so um my brother-in-law tom he takes the elevator angie my wife and i we each take a stairwell and we go and um somehow in her little legs. She had opened the door, walked all the way down the hall to the elevator, called the elevator, got on the elevator, hit lobby, gone down to the lobby, got off the elevator. And then she got stumped because the pool was in another building. So she's just chilling in the lobby. being like, I don't know, trying to reach the pool. You know where it is, right? And so like, fortunately, my brother-in-law, Tom, he found her, right? She was not lost. She knew exactly where she was and exactly where she was going. And she was a little bit irritated with dad that he forgot her. That's what she thought had happened is that I had gone onto the pool without her, right? She wasn't lost to herself. She was lost to me as her father. She was fine, but I was all kinds of messed up. That's how God feels about you. That's how God feels about you. Tonight, I think there's also some of us here that maybe be the older brother, right? I don't, I, we're kind of angry about the party, right? We're kind of angry that God lets anybody in, right? And you might be like, no, I'm fine with anyone. I don't know if you remember this. You may not remember this. There was a guy. His name was Jeffrey Dahmer. Does anyone remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, he ate people. Not ate with people. He ate like 17 people, like kept them in his freezer and would eat them. And they found out about it, and they sent him to prison. And as the story goes, he accepted Jesus before he got killed in prison, right? I don't know what this does to your theology to think about dying and being welcomed into heaven by Jeffrey Dahmer. 
Have you ever thought about that? Like, just like Jeffrey Dahmer's like, hey, welcome. You hungry? No. No, I'm not hungry. Right? This, right? Like, we just go, no, no, no. There are certain people that it is not okay that God's grace extends to them. Right? And it may not even be that extreme. There, there may be some of you that maybe have interact, interacted with this angry neighbor. Right? And you may be like, ah, screw him. And what I would tell you is the God of the universe is in love with him. And, and he wants you to celebrate with him. There's, there's some of you that, that have forgotten that you live in the kingdom and that everything that God has is yours. That God Right? Uh, we used to have a t-shirt. It got worn worn out, but it was an awesome t-shirt. Right? It said, Jesus, and then it said, made his own alcohol, hung out with prostitutes, liked to party. Right? Like, have you ever thought about Jesus' life? Like, what it would be like to hang out with him? He was not this droll, boring, like, kind of grumpy man. And, and I don't believe the God that we follow and serve is that either. I think the older brother had it wrong. I think the God of the, the, the father was like, no, you can celebrate all the time, all the time. But I think he, he also missed the heart somewhere else, the heart of his father, in that if he had the heart of his father, he would have been out looking for his younger brother. He would have been out searching for him because that's the heart of the father. And the brother missed it on both counts, right? He felt like a slave that was always working and never celebrating. And, and he also didn't have the heart to seek out that which was precious to the father. Even if it wasn't precious to him, it, that which was precious to the father. And, and I'll be really honest with you. The church is the only organization I know that was created for people who aren't in it. The church was created for people who aren't in it. This space was created and ordained by God, I think, for the people out there that we would be constantly inviting people in, constantly loving them, constantly reaching out, and constantly celebrating people coming into life with Jesus. And finally, the last group, um, there's, there's people that I study these, these parables with, right, and, and have been studying them for, they've been following Jesus a long time, and, and every time they study these parables, they're always like, oh, I'm the sheep, I'm the one, and I'm the lost coin, and I'm the younger son. And This is only for some of you, so, so this might be offensive, and I'm sorry. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have said, I believe Jesus is God, I believe he died for my sins. I believe that I'm in relationship with him. You're not lost anymore. So quit acting like it. I love you, but quit acting like you're lost, right? Like some of us have, whether we like it or not, we have a Starbucks theology. And what I mean by that is our picture of God is that he constantly just wants to buy us a mocha, sit down and look deeply into our eyes and hear all of our problems all the time. And that's all he's concerned about. And the truth is he's really concerned about you and he's really concerned about your life and he's really concerned about your problems. 
But the paradox of the kingdom, the weird part of following Jesus is, the deeper that we want to be in relationship with him, the more he sends us out to be with other people. If you read the Gospels, it's like all kinds of messed up people get sent out all the time. Like, have you ever read about this guy called the demoniac? Right? He was in, he was like, he had legions of demons. I don't know how many that is, but he had legions of demons inside of him. Right? He was constantly trying to be chained down by the townspeople because he would hurt himself, but he would break the chains and he would run around naked through a graveyard. That's a messed up dude, right? Like, that's like, we can agree on that. Jesus casts the demons out and sends them into pigs, and the pigs all jump off a cliff and die. And, and then the, the townspeople come out to see what's going on, and the demoniac is fully clothed in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. And then it says this really weird part. It says, and he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said no. Right? Like, have you ever thought about that? That Jesus, Someone's like, I want to follow you. And he's like, no. Instead, he sends him out, and he goes, go tell your story. Now, if you think about that for a second, this guy had very, very little theological acuity. You know what I mean? Like, think about his theology for a minute, right? Uh, you can be demon-possessed, but God can heal you, and he hates pigs. Right? Like, that's his theology, right? Like, like that's all he's seen, right? He's just like, well, that's, that's what I know about Jesus. <laughs> like, there you go, right? Like, that's his total theology. His, all Jesus gives him is his own story. And I want to tell you that Jesus has given you a story. But what you have to do is be able to take your eyes off yourself and tell your story. Tell the story that Jesus has given you. One of my favorite days of my life um, was, was my wedding. It was a great day. It was, it was amazing. It was so fun. But let me tell you something. I would not trade my marriage ten and a half years in for my wedding day. I love my marriage and I love what it's become 10 and a half years later as compared to what it was that first day. And some of you here today, you're, you're, you're stuck in your wedding day, right? Every day is about you and Jesus reuniting. Amen. That Jesus loves you and wants to be with you. But I beg you take your eyes off yourself and allow him to send you out. Because if you do, somehow, I don't understand it, but somehow as we go out in his name, we get drawn into deeper relationship with him. And it's amazing. And so tonight, those are the three groups of people that I think God had a word for tonight. And you may not be any of those three groups. And um, don't worry, there's dinner afterwards. You, know, you won't leave empty-handed. But... Um, I don't, I don't know if this is a very normal scum thing to do, so um, bear with me and just give me grace if you would. Um, I would invite you, if, if, if you're in any of those three groups, maybe you're here tonight and you're like, I've never followed Jesus. I don't know if he's real. But if there's a God of the universe that loves me and is seeking after me, that's worth investigating. If that's you, or if, you're, if you find yourself in the older brother, right? You're like, I really don't care about the world around me. And, and I feel like I've been working for Jesus, not celebrating life with him. Or, or if, you're, if you're like, wow, I've made my entire thought process about Jesus, my entire life with him, just about me. 
And, and really, instead of just looking at me all the time, I think sometimes Jesus wants to put his arm around me and say, look at the world. Go out and love it. If you're in any of those three groups, would you stand up? I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here tonight that's in any of those three groups? Right. Yeah. If you're near them, uh, maybe don't touch them, but uh, reach your hand out towards them. And um, nothing magical is going to happen, but I just want to pray for them. And this is just a physical sign of what we're spiritually after. Holy Spirit, uh, we just beg for your presence. We beg for your presence on these people, God. Would you come tonight and fill them? Would you give them life, God? Would you give them the desires of your heart? and the desires of their heart. Would they meet you in this place, Holy Spirit? We beg for your presence. We beg that you would come. And God, if I've misspoken or or anything like that, I pray that you would just come and erase that and replace it with your words. Would you call them to your life, God? We want more of you. Would you take scum and release it? Would you take scum and and give it your life? May they continue on the path that they've been on, God, chasing you. And I pray for a miracle, Jesus, that 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 neighbor would one day count scum as a blessing, would count your church as a blessing, and would fall madly in love with you, God. We love you, and we pray in your name. Amen.